Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Today's guest on the Film School podcast is Chris Bazold. He is a composer who has worked on projects such as the brand new films Repeater and As Good As Dead. We have a great conversation about how to create memorable soundtracks, what his process looks like as a composer, uh, how COVID has affected that process, and so much more. I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. To be honest, I am always nervous taking on a composer onto the show because music is something that, while I appreciate it, it's completely foreign to me. And so uh, I always hope I can ask some good questions. And I learned a lot throughout this episode. I'm sure you will as well. Enjoy my conversation with Chris Bazold. These conversations make me nervous because the one area of filmmaking I cannot wrap my mind around is music. Like I've talked to a couple of composers on the show. Uh, I've talked to a couple of people off air about it. And as much as I appreciate film music, like understanding it from a technical level is something I always struggle to do. So hopefully I'll learn something today as well. But be- before we dive into what you do, I want to know why you do it. Like when's the first time that you had that spark to go like, what is this? I'm interested in this category of music. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a great question. So I, um, it's not something that I always wanted to do. I always dreamed about, or even something I was really aware of um, until later. I, I have a pretty big history with, with music. I started playing drums really early at four and a bunch of, you know, rock, actually a bunch of metal bands in high school. <laughs> um, and then later in life, I, I went to school, started studying music production, and I started getting really interested in maybe business, uh, music business, maybe some, you know, independent record label stuff. And then that from there, I started getting interested in producing. And David mm-hmm. Foster was a big inspiration on what he did and how he was kind of the guy behind all of these hits. And I started getting really intrigued with the whole process of music production, started putting some things together and... Um, friends and family would be like oh that sounds like it'd be on a tv show mm. and i was always like okay uh i don't know what that means that's not what i was going for <laughs> yeah um but then i started learning more and more about uh, music for media and film composing specifically and then i just just fell in love with it just kind of mm. realized that i had more of an intuition towards that type of um music production and, and composing and then as i got deeper and deeper into it i just fell in love with that whole world was was your initial plan, you mentioned like being in a rock band in high school, was like your, your initial vision looking forward like, oh, I could be in a band? Or was it like always, I don't know how this fits into a career. It's just a fun side thing to do. Um, a little bit of both. Yeah, for sure. I think the band, you know, growing up, we were always like, you know, hoping that maybe we get some sort of record deal or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, we played, you know, local live shows in Southern California and stuff, but it was also kind of just something on the side. I was also pretty heavily involved in sports. So it was just mm. something I really enjoyed to do. I always played music, um, played in church bands growing up too. And um, so something I always kind of did, but never really thought about too much professionally until after I started working and um, got into the corporate world for a while and then started reevaluating, okay, what do I want to do? I've done the corporate gig for a while. Um mm-hmm 
maybe I could do something with music again. And then that's when I kind of just started to explore. And when I started getting my hands on creating, I found that it would just naturally fit more into the film composing side. Mm-hmm. My piano uh, teacher at the time knew a film composer named Larry Groupe, um, up in, lived pretty close to around here. And he's like, I can introduce you to Larry if you want. Mm-hmm. And um, you can ask him questions. And he's a professional Hollywood film composer. Yeah, Met him. Took a bunch, you know, asked, asked a bunch of questions, took notes, um, and then just like I said, the more I got into it, the more I just fell in love with like this is the path I want to go down. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious. Like, there's probably some people listening to this show who are interested. I mean, if they're listening to the show, they are. I mean, they're interested in the creative side. Some just because they're interested. Some because they want a path like that. And right. you know, you took the route. It wasn't like, oh, my dad worked in Hollywood, and then he was like, hey, I'll introduce you, and you have a job. It was like, no. I'm going to go to the corporate world, and then decide to make this jump. For you, did that look like burning the ships and leaving the job, and like I'm going to sleep on someone's couch till I figure this out, or was it like a strategic? <laughs> Let me try to do this until that income can supplement this income. Um, it, w- it was definitely more of a, a kind of a kind of a mixture. It wasn't super strategic. Um, the job I was at, I was there for five years and I, I didn't go to school. Like after high school, I'm like, I'm done with school. I just want to start working, you know. So I started working, um, had a number of jobs, then I got into sales, into um technology sales, and I did that for about five years. Um and then this company got acquired. This had a bunch of layoffs and everything. And that's what kind of sparked my thinking of, like, okay, what do I want to do? I finished, maybe I should, maybe I should look into, um, you know, university education. Mm-hmm. What do I want to do? And that's when I started thinking about music. Like, okay, well, I'm a little too old to continue with any type of sports, really, <laughs> anything there. But maybe I could do something in just, you know, the music world is huge. The entertainment industry is mm-hmm. big. There's so many different ways that you can be involved. Um and then just started exploring there. And then I found a school, Full Sail University, that um, I did a bunch of research. I liked how all the professors came from a professional background mm. um, and decided that was the best path for me. So fortunately, I, I did have some money saved up. So I was able to kind of float along for a while mm. and then just kind of started. I started working for Larry a bit on some projects. Uh, he introduced me to his orchestrator and I worked for him also. So I, I got a bunch of different part-time jobs while I was learning and just kind of refining the craft. I guess it was more of like an apprenticeship apprenticeship for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Um, I, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier, like people would say, oh, this sounds like it could be in a TV show or in a movie. And like you always, you know, if you start going on YouTube looking at filmmaking stuff, it's like how to make your footage cinematic or how to make this cinematic. Yeah. Like th- those words get thrown around, but it doesn't mean anything. Like <laughs> if it's in a movie, it's cinematic and, and some level. But when, when you started diving into this and working with Larry and and getting into it, like, what did you start learning about how film music differed from say being in a band or, or doing something outside of the, the film space? Yeah, it, um, so, well, and let me know too, if this answers the the question properly or if there's any follow-up, but I think what's, you know, what's unique is it's, it's like almost like you're writing for a soloist. Like if you're writing concert music and you, you want to support or, or, or even like a singer, you don't want to crowd that person. You want to support the the lead. And in film scoring, you're doing, I've, I've learned, you, you got to do a lot more of that. You're supporting picture. You're supporting a story. You're trying to tell a story in your, um, in your own way too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Larry has said, you know, he looks at himself as a filmmaker because I'm trying to tell a story, communicate through the music. Um, so you're, you're wanting to do that. It's different than just writing a, a great track or a great, great piece of music that stands alone because now you're trying to complement what's on screen. And if it's, if it's really done right, too, most people, unless they're big film music buffs, most people don't notice because you get caught up into the, the drama of what's going on screen. So musically, you should be supporting that. And then obviously, you know, I, I do a lot of action movies. So you got gunshots, you got all this, all this sound effects that's going to be super loud. So again, being sensitive to writing around that and supporting just the whole narrative that's going on screen is the real uniqueness mm -hmm. of writing some picture and something that I guess would be quote unquote cinematic. But I think you're right. When you just, you look up stuff on YouTube or people's just thinking, they think cinematic, they think sweeping strings, brass, and they just think, mm -hmm. you know, a Hollywood sound, but mm -hmm. obviously the, uh, the actual craft is a lot more surgical when you're actually writing the picture. And there's a lot of really talented, amazing, songwriters and music musicians but then when they try to write to picture it's a completely different world um yeah. and directors and producers will typically recognize this too like oh this guy's you know or this or this girl's really great but i have to like guide them through every single cue or every single frame because they can write a great piece of music but it's different when you're trying to support dialogue and you know go around the whole sound effects and foley and everything else that you're right. Not, you shouldn't be competing with it, but kind of you're competing, but you're also trying to complement everything, really. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Sorry, it, 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 one it, off on that. <laughs> no, it, def it definitely does. And it's something that starting the show, so like so much of the things I've done and the, the projects I've worked on has been a lot of by myself working on something or like, or someone does something and then it passes to me at the next stage to do something, you know? So like, there's a lot right. of freedom to really express exactly what you want to do. And one of the things that's interesting doing the show is I talk to people and you learn more and more how much teamwork happens behind the scenes of so many of these projects. And so, like you said, you're a filmmaker in your own right, but you're also not competing. You're complimenting like other people within, within the project itself. Um, but I am curious, like, how this plays out because I, I know creatives get frustrated when they feel like they don't have final cut or they don't have this, you know, this final decision power here, which ultimately on a movie, nobody really has that, you know, there's an illusion right. of that. Um, so I, I want to know, like in your inspirations, when you sent over before this, you said like honorary mention, like John Williams, which I think every composer has to put that somewhere in that list. Um, if not, you'll be questioned like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, I'm curious, like, so you see someone like John Williams and his music, like every track is very much a character. Like his music is most noticeable. Like you, you pick it up instantly. It's as iconic as anything else in the film. You look at other composers, like even people like Hans Zimmer, you know, like there's some iconic tracks, but he's doing a lot more just complimenting in a lot of scenes. And there's like one or two that are just like the huge track of the movie. Um, how does a composer decide when to be the hero like here's the track this is the moment where the the track should be noticed versus when should i not be noticed like you mentioned earlier that's a great question and it's it's really cool actually i was just talking to a friend about this over the weekend um a friend of mine uh tim tompkins he was a great filmmaker um been in the business his whole life in different aspects of uh, film production and a great storyteller and uh, him and i love to just geek out nerd out over film music um but he's not musical himself. And he always says that. He's like, I, I know I have the ear, but I don't 
no. And we were talking exactly about what you just described here. And the, the time for a composer to really shine is during like a, a montage type of scene, I guess you could say, you know, when there's, when you're seeing that story unfold and there's maybe there's like, it's, you know, fading out or, or distant dialogue, it's just kind of getting through a certain scene to connect the dots between a major moment. That's when the music can really propel into it. Okay, we're basically turning the page to the next chapter. Um, so that, and then, I mean, with Repeater, we kind of had that opportunity with the end credits when we um, we wrote that, um, the final uh, song. So a lot of slow motion, no dialogue, it's very dramatic, and the, and the music can just really come forefront and drive what's happening in the picture. Yeah, definitely. And I was listening to the the soundtrack today, walking, and I was thinking about the interview and everything, and I was like... I feel like I'm going to go mess somebody up right now. I've got like this action score underneath <laughs> walking to Starbucks with my laptop. Um, but, uh, oh, the yeah, soundtrack yeah, 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 oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, like approaching a project like that, like going into, you know, an, into an action film, like there's so many routes to go. I mean, and I mean, that, that sounds even silly to say, cause like there's with every department, I guess there's a million routes to go, but you know, you went very much like an electronic score, like used a lot of like, you know, electronic guitar, like going for that electronic sound. Um, like what, when you're sitting down on a project, is that just conversation with the director going, hey, here's the tone and style? Is it something where you're, you know, you're coming in saying, here's what I think based on the script and seeing if that meshes? Like, what's that first step to determining like, hey, let's go more a classical or let's go more electronic? You know, what's that decision process look like? Yeah, no, awesome question and super interesting because it kind of, um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting because it goes to what you said earlier about there's so much work on the back end and you're working as a team. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I also, I really, that drew me into um, composing for film because I like the idea of you're working with the team. You're helping to bring a, a vision to life. Um, and for Repeater, yeah, I actually had a couple of different ideas. I mean, the, the musical themes and stuff were there, but... I wanted to do a little bit more mixture of a little more um, organic sounds. Like we recorded live violin, some live guitar. And the producer was the one that brought this vision to me saying, hey, like, I don't want, like that violin's cool, but I don't want a regular violin sound. You know, if, it, if it's gonna be there in certain aspects, very subtle, but he's like, I wanna do something out of this world, something different than we've, you know, we've done on any other um, show and really just try to create some unique sounds. So. It was in collaboration with the producer actually that the score to repeater came to be as far as all the different um sounds there there's a scene in the movie where the lead character gets um shot with some buckshot from a shotgun he's kind of like getting kind of dizzy or fading he's trying to go find his girlfriend's place to get some help or whatever and in the scene driving that you could see him just kind of seeming delirious and we used the violin just kind of playing this this drone type of sound, but then we filter it with a bunch of crazy, weird delays where it just sounds almost like a whining something. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was it was the collaboration of the producer to come up with those type of weird sounds. The same with the guitar, even the opening scene. You hear the guitar, it's it's there, but you hear it has like it kind of has a a sort of wash to it that's just a different sound that kind of is almost dreamy and takes you somewhere else. Yeah. It, it, how much of that is done in like post on the music? Like, is it, is it going in and tweaking it digitally? Like all of that? Are you trying to record 
you know, are you recording and then making that decision? Or is it something like you're recording knowing like, Hey, I'm going to do this in the edit. And again, this might be the most elementary question, but it's something like, you know, I, I can wrap my mind around shooting something that's there, you know, or designing something that's there. But that when it comes to same with when I interview VFX people, I'm like, you're taking something that doesn't exist and crafting it. This is right. very, very interesting to me. Yeah, no, it's, it's a little bit of both for sure um when we did the uh the violin recording uh with regina she we she was using actually an electric violin and we plugged in through you know some different delays and it had some effects already processed um i did get the raw recording too it's always nice to have that raw um um asset there just so you can always go back to and mess with it if you want but we had that and it was it was cool but it wasn't as far as we wanted to go so we did do some work just in the studio but then yeah there was a most of everything especially with repeater was done in, in the post process of just trying different things running the, the audio through different channels and seeing what we can come up with yeah i i did an interview recently with a composer and i was and again i was probably asking a very elementary question but you know i was asking you know about just the editing process because so much you think of, you know, we, we talked about in that episode, we talked about, you know, Jurassic Park and the music swelling when the helicopter wide shots are there and then coming down mm -hmm. when they're inside the helicopter or jaws, when the shark's getting closer or Indiana Jones, right. when, you know, when it dies out and you hear the boulder rolling, you know, all those moments that we think about totally. that are iconic yeah. cinema moments, all John Williams, because, you know, like that's the first ones that come to the top 10, um, yeah. you know, how much of a collaboration is that? Or has that been for you with editors or is it really just you get a final cut, you're scoring it, or have you had any back and forth saying like, Hey, let's bring in some music here. Let's let this cut last a little bit and let this shot play out so we can add this musical moment. Yeah, that, that does happen. Um, I mean, I guess for me so far, it's been about maybe 50, 50. Um, ideally they try to get it to like, okay, here's the picture lock, go yeah. for it, you know, do your thing. Um, but there are times, and I always let the producer director know too, like, hey, like we can get started sooner, um, just so we can start at least get some momentum rolling. And then if there's some minor edits here or there, we need to elongate something or shorten something. You know, that's that's no problem to do. So mm -hmm. that's happened a few times. Not too much collaboration um, with the editor on that. But however, I, I did work with the editor um, on Repeater a lot. So his expertise that he brought to just the cuts and he, he did come up with a few different ones too, even towards the end of the score, but it mm -hmm. didn't, it didn't impact the writing too much. Maybe just a couple yeah. scenes. I had to elongate a, a track a bit. Um, sure. But as far as a creative decision, it didn't have too much of an, of an impact, but it's, yeah. it's amazing. I, I have such a huge respect for editors because they can really tell a story or the versus watching a movie and you're thinking, I don't know what is going on here. Like, what what yeah. am I seeing? And an editor right. could give a new cut and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm following along now. Yeah. So it's, it's really important. It's amazing yeah. what they do. For sure. Well, I, I am curious too. One of the things I think about like, you know, directors before, you know, and cinematographers before going to project, they're putting together, you know, mood boards and, you know, watching movies and cutting clips and, um, is that similar process for you gearing up to do a score? Like when you say like, Hey, I'm approaching an action movie. Here's a couple action movies I'm watching, thinking about how they approached it. Or is it something where it's like stand-up comedy where like, I don't want to know what their material is. I want to push that out of my mind. Cause I don't want to accidentally <laughs> replicate some of that. Yeah, no, I, I prefer that. I prefer just to have a blank slate and just mm -hmm. 
have my own thoughts. But I mean, it, it is, it does, the temp is helpful because it gives me an idea of, of a, yeah. you know, where the producer, the director wants to go. Um, but typically, I mean, honestly, what's helped the most with me is just having candid conversations with the director, mm-hmm. producer. What, what is this film about? What do we want people to feel? Um, and that will direct me like, okay, this is what I got to do. Um, a great example of that is the third movie I did was called Your Move. Uh, starred Luke Goss as his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. And kind of like a taken movie, you know, action, thriller, suspense, um, more thriller, suspense. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm gearing up for it. It's going to be a lot of whatever, fighting, just tension, all this kind of stuff. And when I talked to him, I said, so tell me, like, what's the movie about? What's the tone? And he just, he was a great director. He's like, it's a love story. And it, it totally made me pause. I'm like, wait a minute, a love story? <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, it's about how far a guy will go to take care of his family. And yeah. it's like that ending scene where my character rescues wife and daughter and take him out of that dungeon that they were in. He's like, that's the whole heart of the movie and what the, the what it's really about. Yeah. And that just like really inspired me. Like, oh, it's, that's fantastic. That's the kind of yeah. stuff that really just got my emotions uh, stirred. And I went to... Um, piano and just started playing out working out uh the theme based off of that direction that he gave me yeah yeah you you've collaborated with a couple directors a few times um you know rls frazier you know obviously worked with a couple times um you know those collaborations with the directors does that help over time building a relationship like do you feel like you have kind of a second you know uh, uh blanking on the word but like do you feel like you have kind of a rapport with them where you know what they're going to ask for at a certain point or is it always each project like no idea where they're going to come in on it you know yeah no i'm generally yes um i've had the awesome opportunity to work with fraser um since i first started Uh, my Mm -hmm. first movie i i did larry brought me in on it it's called rumble with gary daniels was on netflix for a while and um larry wrote the main title and then he brought me in to score the rest of the film um, that was my first introduction work with Frazier. And then he really liked the work I did on Rumble. And we just continued the, the relationship. Um, so it's it's typically, you know, he knows what I what I do. You know, I, I typically know what, um, you know, what kind of what he's looking for. So most of all of our movies, it's 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 a pretty smooth process. And it's cool, too, with Frazier because he's a musician. And I remember when I was studying this too and learning, you know, you kind of hear people say, oh, if you got a director as a musician, that's going to be trouble because he's just going yeah. like, to nitpick every single thing you do. But that's like the furthest thing from the truth, from the truth with, uh, with Frazier. He's musical and he has an idea, he has thoughts in his, in his head and he'll, he'll throw out suggestions to me. And then he's like, but I want to give you the freedom to just chase after it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's st- standard in the, in the sense of I know what our process is, but I, every new, every movie, even when it's the same genre, I'm always curious to hear, okay, what's, what's the tone going to be, or what's the, yeah. the, the vision of how it's supposed to unfold. Cause that could, that'll always be different typically. Right, sure. right. But our working process is the same. I'm, I'm curious. So like that's been smooth sailing, that relationship. What's your biggest pet peeve as a composer? Like, like what's something that when it happens on a project, you're like, this just really hurts my ability to create, you know, like this really <laughs> hampers my, you know, and, and I've heard a couple examples like, you know, oh, people get so drawn to a temp track or the editor uses this type of music that the director falls in love with. And, you know, there's all these little things like, 
is there anything that hap you know has ever happened? You don't have to name names, um, though. We'll probably get more <laughs> views if you do. No, uh, do you ever have any experiences where you know people you know people do something that you're like, oh, that really just you know shot me in the knee doing this project? Yeah, I would say um, that the biggest thing is like communication, you know, and I, it's it's interesting because it's it's not just the um, you know, in show business, it's like really anything that we do, right? If if if, you, if you're in communication with somebody, whether it's a relationship or business, work, creative projects, whatever, then like, okay, at least you can, you know, move forward. Yeah. The, the thing that's been the toughest for me is with, um, and it's, you know, I guess given the benefit of the doubt to a lot of, um, you know, professionals or whatever, <laughs> people are busy and they got a lot of stuff going on. But for me, when I'm trying to deliver a project, if I'm trying to, make sure I'm on the right track. I'm trying to communicate or I need something and I just don't hear anything. That's, that's the toughest for me to be able to create. Cause then it's like, okay, I feel like I'm flying blind. Like I'm trying to, yeah. you know, look at my, uh, my instruments, so to speak, where am I going? Am I right heading? Um, make sure I don't crash into a mountain. And if I'm not seeing anything, if I'm not getting any feedback, it's like, okay, I'm yeah. just going to assume everything's good. And then sometimes that happens and then, Oh, well we wanted this. Like, okay, well, now it's too late because now you want to deliver next week and yeah. I can't just, you know, snap my fingers. I, I think that I've, I've talked to some other, um, just audio professional peers and they've mentioned that too, that they've seen that within different aspects of recording arts where, um, there seems to be a disconnect sometimes with um, people outside of music. I think, Oh, just whatever, just, you know, deliver the score tomorrow, you know, yeah. or whatever like, it, it should, it should, you know, and not understanding the full complexity of what's involved, the cost, the time, uh, the effort that's put into it. Um, not everybody. I mean, obviously a lot of people do understand like what's that goes into it, but I think there's a general, Oh, whatever, just get the score done and deliver the, you know, we, we got to deliver the movie and there's no consideration into your process necessarily. Right. So that's, that would be my biggest challenge that I find I will have to kind of fight against or, yeah work in spite of, I don't know, sometimes it's just okay, situations that I, I mean, I just got to adapt and roll with it, you know, do the best I can. Yeah. Has that been worsened by, you know, like during the COVID period, a lot of stuff switched to working. I'm sure you did a lot of stuff in home studio. I, if I had to venture a guess, like everybody, probably a lot more working remote. Um, does that work, you know, worsen that? Has that affected your ability to collaborate on some of these projects where a lot of these meetings are not happening where you can sit side by side and work through a project like that? I don't think so, to be honest, Eric, um, because when I did my, my first movie like 10 years ago, Frazier and I never met in person, you know, I mean, with I was <laughs> working with Larry, so I would do stuff and then Larry would QC it before it got sent over to Frazier and then, and then Frazier approved it. But all of that was done remotely even before COVID. Um, hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I could see that there could be an issue there, but it's 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 weird. Obviously, and I, I know it's a different topic than film scoring, but it's weird because we have like, you and I can communicate easily anytime, anywhere with all the technology available to us. But it seems like with that, maybe sometimes we take take it for granted and we just kind of get yeah. busy with everything else and we let things go. And I, 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 you know, when you're making a movie and it's getting distributed and everything, there's a lot of pieces in play. There's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff going on. So I understand that producers and directors are juggling a lot of different things. Um, but that's, yeah, that's the challenge that we just, we all have to try to kind of get grips to grips with is how do we communicate to make sure that everything's moving forward? Cause in, in the, at the end of the day, 
it all serves the purpose of getting the film done, get it best it can be, and then getting it to delivery. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's been a big thing. It's like it's not so much like the quantity of time because like you might still get on a meeting, but it's like the quality of that time, you know, where people come in and like you said, they don't take it. They take it for granted, like where it's like they threw a shirt on and they sat down, you know, or whatever, yeah. like they, they jumped in a call. And the conversation quality just dips. It feels like um, a lot of times when you're when you're going remote, and and I have to imagine too, yeah. like dealing with people who are already working and tired, and you know, long hours. Like it's gotta it's gotta worsen that at times, um, but it can be yeah. save you time too. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think another aspect of it too is just the studio that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's some studios and producers that are just like, I just want to make an action movie. I know I can flip it. You know, it's like they're flipping houses, yeah. like whatever. I'm not going to live there. Just, this is good enough. Someone's going to buy it. I'll make a profit, turn mm-hmm. flip, move to the next one. And um, a lot of these projects can be like that. So it's you're having to balance like, oh, I want to creatively put this together. And then also thinking, well, I just have to make a deadline. Like which one is the priority? Because often yeah. you can't do both. It's not like you're beethoven sitting at a piano you know and just you know the glass of wine like i'm just going to compose and bring this beautiful thing to fruition it's it's often just like i need this delivered like i need this house paint, painted by next week and you're like on yeah. that kind of a t- type of a task you know yeah. um i still get joy out of it i just love writing music to picture but there is a balance between sometimes with certain shows that's all they care about like chris just deliver action tension and we just need it done by the state period yeah and then um, Repair is actually more of the opposite, where the producer and the editor um, spent a lot of time. They, they made the effort. I'm down in San Diego, actually. They're up in L.A., and they would drive down to my home studio in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And they, they made it a priority. Like, no, we want to, like, get this as right as possible. And we would spend days in the, in the studio, just super caffeined up, <laughs> a ton of caffeine, and just going through every single cue, sometimes certain sequences, certain frames, like, okay, right here, when this happens, you know, we want mm-hmm. that chord to hit this part. And that was a big collaboration, but their, their vision was, you know, obviously they, they sold the movie and, you know, Saban Films um, has it, um, and it's great success, but they were very adamant about getting it as perfect as they possibly could. So when you have those kind of producers and filmmakers involved, then you're going to, you're going to have a lot more hands-on, a lot more making the effort to like, I don't care where you're at, I'm coming, we're going to sit in the studio and we want to go through it together um, versus the other mindset of just whatever. I just need to deliver it at this state. That's fine. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. We're like in their mind, it's like a step away from like, let's use stock footage and a stock track and just get it done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. No, that, that happens sometimes. That's the back to what you said. What's kind of frustrating. That, that could be frustrating sometimes too. It's yeah. like, you know, uh, I think this is a much better route or oh, whatever. We'll just, we just, we got this free royalty, whatever is going to throw that in there. Like, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's yeah. only so much control you can have. Um, I think I remember Danny Elfman, Elfman saying one time about how he doesn't like going to, I mean, I could be wrong, but I swear I could remember seeing an interview where he said he doesn't like going to premieres or screenings because it's always different than what his original vision was. Mm. It's always different. So he's like, I don't like going and watch the movie because it's going to be different than what I originally delivered. <laughs> Um, yeah but there's a lot of truth in that i mean once you surrender it's like okay and then they got to do what's best with it that's how it goes right right has there ever been a change done to something you've worked on and maybe you could give both answers some a time it was frustrating or a time that it was was there ever a time though where something was adjusted and you thought it was to the betterment of what you had done like where 
you know, someone did change something you did or change the timing of it or change the moments where it's used, where it, you feel like it was an improvement or like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Um, and then I guess on the flip side, you know, which I'm sure there's probably one of those where someone changed something and you're like, crap, that like really ruined what I was trying to do with that moment. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's even been stuff where um, I had a cue and then they swapped it out for a cue that I did in a, in a different movie um, that they're like, well, we like this one that you did from this other movie. We're going to throw this in there. And I'm listening. I'm like, <clears throat> all right. Like, I, I don't think that's the best choice, but I mean, even if, even though they swapped it out, swapped it out with, with um, another piece of music that I did, there's still times where I'm like, okay, like, I don't think that's best. I don't like how that sounded compared to what we did before, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and then well, using repeater again is a great example of, the positive side, like I, I mentioned earlier, where I kind of had a certain idea of orchestration wise, where certain cues were going to be. And then um, the uh, producer was like, no, we want to totally switch this around. And we kind of, I, I felt like repeater was like going to the gym, like putting more weight on the bar. Like, I don't know if I could lift this. Like, come on, we're just going to force you to go out of your comfort zone. Um, and then when it's done, I was like, oh, wow, dang, this is a lot better. This is cool. I didn't know that that was there. And sometimes you need someone creatively to push you and it, it could be you know sometimes just mentally tiring you're like okay like, i'm done with this cue i'm done with the show i'm ready to move on to the next one myself but then when you got a producer director being like no nah, that's not a, that's almost there but we need to try this and you're like oh gosh okay fine i'll do do one more rep <laughs> you know yeah um, exactly. and, and then it comes out better like, oh dang that's actually that's really cool you know so there's definitely a huge benefit to that again going back to the whole working with the team because um, even though you may be the subject matter expert when it comes to writing music and writing a picture, you know, all these different filmmakers have a huge value in how to tell a story, what they're trying to tell. And the more I could understand that and see that vision, the clearer I can run towards that and, you know, try to deliver what they want. Yeah. So, yeah. Love that. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to move us into our closing segment in a little bit here. Um, but I got to ask, I, I was reading an interview you had done and you mentioned like some projects you'd like to work on. Um, and you threw out like the mission impossible franchise, you know, with the Chris McCory, you know, mission impossible movies in, in particular. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry, but it's too obvious. I just, I genuinely love those movies. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, tell me just a little bit about like, maybe some ideal projects that you'd love to work on. I mean, I know you, you mentioned mission impossible, which like it's one of the best action franchises going right now. Um, you know, and, and also 100%. like speaking of music, being a character, like that theme is incredibly iconic. And now we've seen, you know, the rocked out version of MI2. We've seen the very traditional right. orchestral <laughs> version that they're pushing now for the new movie. Like, I, I'm curious, what's like your favorite take on that score specifically? I know that's not something that you worked on, but I'm curious, like your perspective, looking at like, what's the best version you think that's been done? And if you were to step in, like, where would you steer that ship toward as far as the, the music goes? Dang, that's a big question. So we got another hour, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I whip Dang, out all the tracks. Here we go. <laughs> right, let's go. Start analyzing it one by one. Um no, that's a great question. Shoot. I think I remember one that really stuck out to me, um, especially musically, I just, the whole film I loved was, um, I think it was Fallout. I think, was that the last, that was the last one, I believe, right? Um, yeah. I think it was Fallout. Yeah. And then and I know they got another one 
next year, which I'll be stoked about to go see. But Fallout, um, I it just from a film standpoint, an action movie, just it's so interesting because there's so many different things that are obviously like all the actors are top notch, the cinematography's so cool, um, the story's very engaging, but there's all these different things that are happening too. So there's a lot of spice and variety to constantly keep it moving, you know, from that opening mm-hmm. scene all the way to, to the end. Um, and musically, um, I think, I, I apologize, I blanked on the composer. I think it might be Lauren Lauren Boff. Bo- I don't know how you pronounce his name, but yeah, it's Lauren Boff. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah. I'm impressed with myself. I was a term like, I think it's, I think it was Lauren. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Lauren. I really like his stuff. He's, he's, he's very, very talented. It's amazing. Um, but I, I like the, the different themes he had. And there's a certain scene at the end where Tom Cruise is running around and he goes through the cathedral and everything. And there's a piano melody that starts to kind of come in and dance around with that whole chase scene and he had a sensitivity to the different action scenes to make it interesting where he didn't just go with the obvious of like running drums and percussion and that kind of stuff was Mm -hmm. going on he had a lot of different elements to just with just with as the film had different scenes and cinematography that made it appealing to the eye the dialogue made it like you were sucked in the story to keep what's going to happen next musically Mm -hmm. he did the same thing um And that's something I always strive to do. That's the kind of the goal of like, okay, how do I keep this going? How do I keep it fresh and interesting? Um, so to your question on um, if I had the opportunity to work on something like that, where I, how I would come in, um, always goes back to, again, with, you know, that, that relationship, that conversation with the director and producer on, Tell me more about this. Let's go deep into the story. What, what, do we, what do we want the audience to feel? What is the tone? Um, and then that's the starting point of like laying a foundation. Like, okay, this is this is what I'm. These are this is the palette that I'm, I'm working with. Um, and then with a movie like that, again, just trying to come up with different, unique sounds, experimentation, different time signatures. With obviously, um, you know, Mission Impossible. There's there's a lot of different drama that's going on. So I think as a percussionist and a drummer myself, you know, being more intuitive with that, I love experimenting with different time signatures, maybe layering one time signature on top of another with different instruments. So it's kind of sounds off and it can kind of mimic what's on screen when there's like some sort of unstableness happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's how I position, position it. So I'm looking forward to one day having the opportunity to dive deep into something like that. <laughs> Well, it seems like Tom Cruise will be making these movies for like the next fifty years, so so plenty I, of time. I gotta have my shot sometime, right? Hey, don't right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, Mission Impossible Thirty Four. It's it's gonna happen, you know. Right. Um, no, it's, awesome. we'll, we'll be talking again. Talk to me about right. Mission Impossible Thirty Four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, love that. Well, I I want to get your perspective on these, and I, I keep moving this segment earlier and earlier because uh, these questions spark a lot of good conversation. Um, but I ask these questions to every guest that comes on the show, and uh, curious to hear your answers. First and foremost, which of your projects do you think is the best representation of you as a creator? Um. I'd say right now, as of right now, I'd probably have to go with Repeater for sure. There's just a lot that went into it, a lot of experimentation, um, the score in the picture, a lot of cool action scenes. I, I had a blast writing with um, Gary Daniels, you know, played the villain in, in Repeater really well. And he's just an amazing martial artist and, and talent, talent there. So writing those action cues to his stuff and his performance on screen was 
really, really great. Um, yeah, probably, probably repeater for right now. Um, definitely. I, there's, there's a, a part of me that also leans more to more dramatic emotional stuff, but that's, you know, typically not as much, you, you don't see that as much in action movies, you know, more drama. So I did do a short film called Inclusion um, a couple of years ago. And the, the main titles to that is more about pulling at your heartstrings and just representing a struggle and a, and a, and a step forward in spite of odds against you. And that's something that's really representative. I feel like to me, where I was really throwing my heart on the line with that type of, with that theme. So sorry, I kind of gave you two answers there with both of those. That's okay. Two for the price of one. So that's great. Yep. <laughs> um, what, what do you think is the best decade of film history? And I'm sure this answer is going to be influenced by music of films during that period, but what, what decade of film history do you appreciate the most? Dang, that's, that's, that's tough. Um, this is the one that always is like just dead silence for like 10 minutes of like, Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Well, I, I, I'll tell you this, like what I re- definitely respect the most and have the most like awe for would be, um, I guess, I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably wrong on the decades, but I would say maybe somewhere between the fifties and seventies, but the, the early days of, of film scoring, Marvin Hamlish, obviously John Williams, um, a lot of these, you know, the old um, Hitchcock movies, you know, back during those times, because nowadays the technology we have is just unbelievable, you know, but you see some of those old videos of these composers and they're literally at a piano, like watching a, you know, a a scene, like, you know, through a projector or something. And they're explaining to the director, you know, oh, here's here's where the woodwinds come in right here on the piano Mm -hmm. and here's this, you know, and that, the level of musical skill and, and dramatic instincts to be able to communicate that vision versus, Hey, here's my, um, here's my demo with all of these amazingly sampled instruments that I bought for 200 bucks from native instruments, you know, like yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a much easier or um, way to show a director and producer, like this is what the score is going to be sounding like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I mean, I think that there is a value every single decade as you see, music change when it comes to musical picture um and you know when you see like the 70s and 80s too you see a, a real big shift in the tone of film scores for sure much right. a little more electronic that 80s style um and then you once we get a little more towards modern times you see Hans Zimmer kind of created that sound and then everyone's kind of going towards that route um so there's I think there's a value there's a lesson within, within each decade if you were to be teaching like a, a course yeah. on, on music for film but the one I had the biggest respect for interest in are those early days where they're just mm. at the piano trying to communicate. And then the director has no idea what's going to happen until they're at the stage like with the orchestra. Like, oh, this is what it's going to sound like. You know, yeah. this is what it's going to, how it's going to connect to um, what's on screen. Yeah. I've, I've never thought about it until you were just talking about because the, the 50s, you know, period and early 60s, you know, was a period for like, film that was very repressed in a lot of ways like and it gets yeah. you know when we're talking just pure favorite decades like a lot of people go like oh the 50s is the worst you know and like the early 60s is the worst um <laughs> but but what's interesting is that with music like it's one of the few things that i feel like wasn't necessarily held back because it's music like it's visuals were very held back writing was very held back there was a lot you couldn't say a lot you couldn't show but you think yeah. of something like Psycho, like that movie's scary b- 
because of the music or you think of, I mean, a Bernard yeah. Herman scores for all of Hitchcock's, you know, movies that he worked on is stands out so much where like, even when the movie couldn't deliver a hundred percent on its, you know, climax or couldn't deliver on a, a scene that probably would have gone a little bit further in a different period. Like the music went there, you know? And so it's interesting yeah. thinking about that, um, that expression just being kind of un, untethered for a lot of those periods where everything else was so strict. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting point for sure. Um, yeah, I, I love it. You know, and there's, it's, it was, um, pretty dramatic too. And you could think of like an old black and white scene, you hear like a violin, just huge, this huge yeah. run, but it's like, at the same time, it's not, it's not distracting. It's just really enhancing the emotion that's, that's happening on screen. Right. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's cool. Even with other aspects of filmmaking, you know, like the special effects and the way that you, again, using Hitchcock, the way that he tried to, you know, show um, tension, try to, you know, get people at the edge of their seats was a lot more different compared to nowadays where you have all this technology back then. It's like, okay, we're going to move the camera. How am I going to have this come? We're going to do this. Obviously a lot with the writing, how are we going to tell the story to keep people engaged? Um, yeah. So it, yeah, a lot of respect on, on filmmaking those days and, and how they brought the music together too. Yeah. And I love that you gave Marvin Hamlish some love because I don't feel like he gets mentioned in a lot of conversations now. Um, mm -hmm. But like, you know, the sting is one of my all time favorite movies. Like, and it's, it's, it's such nice. a unique score, even though it's funny, like a lot of people who are like historians go like, oh, the music doesn't match the time period, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like it, it feels yeah. right, you know, and um, The Spy Who Loved Me is such like a beautiful piano score for yes. such an epic movie. Um, totally. And uh, yeah, I'm glad his name got mentioned because it's it's somebody, he's just a fascinating person as music always stands out like he's one of those guys like everything he did was like gold um so so love that yeah. answer no i'm mean, that's that's so that's so cool to, to hear you um say that and talk about him because you're right he, he was actually one of my biggest first inspirations and i actually had a yeah. chance to see him live um oh wow conduct a pop show in san diego um hmm. it was like a, a jazz uh series and he was conducting and he was there i got to see him live it was really cool and then i think shortly after that actually he passed away yeah um and I remember when that happened, I was like, oh, shoot, like it actually, like, I was like, oh, dang, because like, he was such a big inspiration. And in the very beginning of when I started getting interested in the music for film and, um, you know, so when I learned more about him, what he did I was, and, yeah. and how he did it, like you explained, like with Spy Who Loved Me, that's a great, beautiful example. Yeah. Well, and the, seeing that in the, I saw Spy Love Me in theaters when uh, Roger Moore passed and they reissued it and like hearing nobody does it better. Like Carly Simon with the, the like it, it was amazing. Like it, it blew the yeah. roof off of the place. Like it's, it's awesome. Um, so and cool. if you haven't seen it, um, the sound of 007 documentary on Amazon prime is pretty cool. There's a, there's a lot of behind the scenes of him working on that. So definitely check that out. Oh, <laughs> Plug I for will, them. I will. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, what is the, um, oh, I'm skipping ahead of myself. Um, if you were given the green light to remake any film, uh, what would you choose and why? And I guess we'll re repurpose this. If you could rescore any film, uh, what would you choose and why? Or introduce a new version. Uh, maybe we introduce this with Mission Impossible already, but I'm curious if there's anything else you're like, I'd love to do a different spin on that, even if the score already is is pretty great. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um Shoot. Yeah, that, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I think, okay, I, I'll, I'll say this as a challenge. Just, just, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the score. 
but I would love to, um, if I had an opportunity to do something like that, it would to remix and probably Maverick that just came mm. out top the the latest uh, Top Gun movie. Um, score was great, like I'm not complaining, you know. <laughs> but um, there's I, I, there's definitely more heavy Hans Zimmer elements you could you mm. could sense in, in that more of a modern um, score. And you know his his team did a, a great job, and especially with yeah. the, the main Top Gun theme, the way that they brought that in and how they reorchestrated that was was beautiful but i think that when i was watching that i was like i wonder how i, I could have done this for sure again not that there's anything wrong with it or it needs to be fixed but just as a creative challenge I'm like okay like how would how would this score sound if it was scored by chris Bazold? you know what, yeah. what could i bring unique that would also make the movie um wonderful yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm gonna backtrack really quick because I need to ask your opinion. And you mentioned, uh, you, you know, Spy Who Loved Me. I'm, I'm assuming you you're you like action movie. I'm assuming James Bond is <laughs> very familiar. Oh, yeah. um, Love it. <laughs> what's your take as a composer? Of, and it was omitted from the Sound of 007 documentary, and I was like so mad because I loved the score to For Your Eyes Only. Um, what's your take yes. on Bill Conti's score for that? Because it's so weird, and it's like stands alone from all the other music, and to a lot of people, stands alone in a bad way because um, they say it's too much Rocky or whatever. What's your take on that score? Um, because I haven't found – I've found very few people that agree that it's a cool score. I well, I do agree. I like it. I, I, for sure. Actually, that's, I grew up, like, my dad introduced that movie. Like, that was my dad's, I think, favorite James mm. Bond uh, movie. And um, even, like, the main theme song, you know, like, was is great. Mm. Um, you know, so there's certain songs, certain, you know, they always have their special, you know, James Bond yeah. title, whatever. And that one, for your eyes only, I, the melody, it's catchy, it's, uh, the, the starting right there is great. But the score... No, I'm a fan. I, I like that it was something different. I, I think it played really well with Roger Moore and the, um, even just the different scenery, you know, when they're, isn't that yeah. right? Or they're out there doing the, yeah. all that. Like, and it brings in like yeah, the Greek themes great. when it's, you know, more the Greek set. Yes. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's I love that when they're out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's such a cool score and, and it builds in cool ways too, because there's a lot of revenge elements, but it's, um, I get it. I mean, I get it. It sounds like he had just come off of Rocky or was just going. Yeah, I think it just come off Rocky. So like you can definitely hear some of like the I guess like Bell, like some of the some of the sounds that he uh, that he incorporated that were definitely like, hey, I just did this. Let me do this. Um, yeah. But I mean, the like imagine someone like insulting your work and be like, it sounds too much like Rocky. <laughs> like right. it sounds like it sounds like one of the sounds like one of the best scores of all time that's really yeah. a bummer you know uh but yeah anyway. totally <laughs> I had to had to side had to sidetrack and ask that um no i i agree with you that's that's one of my favorite james bond movies for sure so between that and marvin hamish man we're we're on the same wavelength for good, sure. <laughs> good to hear good to hear uh so you you love action movies you love a lot of uh cool like drama thriller type movies uh what's a film that you're you know, people that like your music, people that are in you know, tracking with you so far. What's a what's a film that people would be surprised to know that you enjoy? Um, surprised to know that I enjoy maybe. Well, I guess no, probably because since I all the stuff I've done have everything I've done ha, ha, has been action. I, I would think probably more the more emotional 
you know, type of film. Like King's Speech is one of my favorite movies. Um, there's drama and, and tension to it, but not in the sense of like, there's no fights, there's no shootouts or nothing, nothing like that. But I really enjoy movies like that. Really, really good stories, you know, really good drama. That's just, um, even without all of the extra action elements. So that I guess would potentially come as a surprise since all my movies yeah. up to this point have been um, just fairly um, straightforward action movies. I do have a movie I'll be doing soon um, called Uppercut and that's a dramedy. So I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to that because that'll be a little bit of a switch. Um, and the guy, it's about a middle-aged guy who starts boxing to kind of find himself. And yeah. I can relate to that because after I went through um, a breakup when I was, my early twenties, I, my sister actually recommended, you should take up boxing. And I did and just fell in love with it. And it just helped mm. me grow as a person to another level. So when I heard about uppercut, I'm like, Oh yeah, sign me up. Let's do it. And the producers yeah. have already, already told me that they want me to make a jazz type of a score, something different. Mm. So that's going to be cool because if people look at my stuff, they see all these action movies. Now they're going to get a completely different flavor that maybe they think, Oh, here's the next movie. I wonder what I wonder who's shooting who in this movie now it's going to be like oh it's something a little bit different <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um well the last question i ask everybody uh what's the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who is listening to this um i appreciate the question and um i'm humbled by it i would say um two things one obviously you hear all the time you, you got to be persistent you got to be patient patience is huge you know i've been doing doing this 10 years and i've averaged you know almost about like you know a movie a year um done eight feature films now got four more lined up for next year but it's taking me this long to like get to that amount of um work i've, I've done other things too you know in between the the features but as far as feature films go it's um it's been a slow burn you know like Averaging one a year is, has been good, but now like I did two this last year. Next year I got four. Um, but it's a lot of patience. Like I said, it's been almost uh, coming up on a decade of just staying consistent. You know, you got other work you got to do. You still got to pay bills and everything. But if you just stay on it um, and stay persistent, that's, you know, that's, that's the only way that you can know, like, can I go to the next level is if you just stay with it. Um, and then the other piece, I would add to that if you don't mind me doing another two for to another two for one <laughs> um, is I, when I was really struggling, even after doing a couple movies and I was like, I don't know, am I going to be able to keep doing this and mm. how to, to what degree I remember getting to a point where I was like playing piano my family was there. Like they just enjoyed hearing me just play some old standard tunes, you know? And um, I remember just thinking like, I got to get to the point where if this is like as far as my music ever goes, like I have to be satisfied with that. You know, and I have to be content and happy and and um good with this. Like like literally, like no, I'm good. I'm blessed that I could sit here, I can play, I can enjoy it. And if some, you know, my family hears it and they feel and you know, they enjoy it, that's gotta be just as rewarding to me than like, oh, I got an Oscar, I'm on the next, I'm on Mission Possible 34 or whatever. Like if that's like I won't be happy until I'm doing that. Then I, I think you're in a lot of trouble and I'm not saying you need to be complacent. Like I said before, you gotta be patient and keep persisting. But at the same time, you got to find a way to find joy with the craft, mm -hmm. um, with where you're at and yeah. not think, Oh, well, once I get hundred million dollars for this next mm -hmm. film, then I'll really be happy. Like I, you got to enjoy each, each project 
and find satisfaction there. Um, and I've learned even just if I'm by myself, I just go and I just mm-hmm. am able just to express however I'm feeling just by myself at the piano. I could find joy and contentment in that. And you need to have that in addition to just thinking, oh, well, it means nothing unless there's a crowd here. It's like, no, it's like, it's, it's gotta have purpose. And I think you're more likely to succeed on larger levels if you're able to have that type of contentment when it's just you and your art. Yeah. Um, cause eventually, cause that'll come through. People will be able to tell whether what you're expressing is real and something unique and special or whether you're just, you know, yeah. Just trying to get attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love both of those pieces of advice because they complement each other so well. Like the, and I, I've been, you know, I feel like I test run things that I'm going to say out loud to like my wife or to like my family. Like I'll just, I'll like be like, I think this is how things are, you know, and like run that by them. And and one of the things that I've been saying a lot the last couple months has been, I feel like 10 years is how long it takes to do anything like real, like to really do it. Like um, right. you just mentioned, like, you know, doing a decade, like um, you know, I'm coming up on 10 years of, of working, doing, you know, media and marketing and branding. And like, I feel like I'm finally getting to a point where it's like, I get, you know, I, I've gotten it before. Like, I'm not saying like, Oh, now I know what that is, you know, but like to a level where like, I feel comfortable saying like, I understand this. Like, I, I feel like I know how to leverage this. I know how to make the losses last less than the wins, you know, and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And people I talk to, it seems like, you know, you'll look at people cause they all of a sudden, like, you know, they do this movie and you're like, Oh, they're huge. Like they just got huge out of nowhere. And then you start yeah. listening to interviews and it's like, yeah, for like 20 years, I was working as like a PA, you know, I was doing this and this and this. Um, and it's always encouraging. I think if you love what you do, it's encouraging to know, like, I just have to push for a decade, you know, versus I think, you know, writing on that second piece of advice you give, like, if you're not fulfilled in the art at a small level, like in 10 years, like first, you're not going to make it to 10 years, but right. once you get to 10 yeah. years, like you're still not going to be fulfilled because that's not what you want to do. Like that's ultimately not the thing that's going to you know give you joy every day to do like performing. If performing your family is a drag, like performing, you know, on a, a larger stage, doing something you don't like doing, isn't going to be fun either. Um, so I, I love, I love both those pieces of advice. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to squeeze one more bonus question that ties into this um, really quickly nice. for, for someone who is, you know, maybe they enjoy it, but they're going like, is my limit, like, is it something that I enjoy doing for my family? You know, maybe it shouldn't be a career. Like when do you listen to the outside voices or factors telling you you should quit versus pushing through that pain, you know, with nothing's guaranteed in life. So you could push those 10 years, not make it like, what would you say to someone who's going like, I don't know if I should quit pursuing this as a career and just do it as something for fun, or I should push through the pain to make it a career. I know that's like, probably that could be an hour conversation as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Uh, we, we, we should do another show where we just talk about the, um, the challenges of creative yeah. art and professionally, you know, it's, we could spend easily an hour on it. I'm, I'm sure. Um, well, let me ask you this. When you say the pain, do you mean like just the, the, disheartment or like literally like I'm having like family issues because I keep like, pursuing this. <laughs> well, I mean, it could be, that. I mean, I mean, for, for me, I just look at it and go like, um, you know, there's things, you know, there's things that are worth 
I mean, there's things that are worth worth pushing through because you have this goal on the end, you know, or you have this like, and, and I would say it's more specifically to like, one of the things I think about as a creator all the time is like, where do you get your sense of, um, where do you get your sense of fulfillment from? And I think for a lot of creatives, it starts with this feeling of like, oh, people just clap for that. That's amazing. That rush was great. But like that doesn't carry you through the long hours or like the time learning your craft. Um, And also like you're surrounded by a lot of people as a creator, like your family at the piano are like, oh my God, that's amazing, honey. You know, and then you get in front of producers going like, you know, your music shit or your video doesn't look good or your whatever that is. Like you get the real raw feedback and all of like all of those people could be wrong. So it's like, what do you anchor your value of your work to? Um, So I guess I'm just asking like for someone who's going, do I listen to those voices saying like, Hey, you're not there yet. Do I listen to them? And like, when they say like, you don't have it, you know, versus like believing in yourself saying, I do have it. I'm going to keep pushing for this. Cause I know at some point I'll be, yeah. here, you know, got it. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. I would say that, um, yeah, twofold. Like, like you said, you, you got to have that fulfillment at the basic level. So if you're like, I love doing this and like no one else likes it, but you're like, I, I'm able to have this creative outlet and I feel good when I do it. And I feel like I'm accomplishing something. Then just keep doing that. But again, don't, don't, don't um, limit your fulfillment to be, well, I have to have somebody else like it. No, you got, it's kind of, I mean, I guess it'd be like dating or something like you can't convince somebody else to like you. You have Mm. to like, you have to be kind of content, fulfilled with yourself for, and for some reason that will attract other people to you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we all need outside affirmation at the same yeah. time. So, so I would say that if you're if you're getting some sort of affirmation, you know, that like no, like you have something here, don't let it go. And then you know, hold on to that if it coincides with what you know you honestly enjoy doing too. So that's how I would you know continue to pursue. I mean, because when I was going through some of my times of just like I don't know, maybe I should give this up. I had you know a few key people that are like no, like. Yeah. objectively like there's something here just you just got to persist stay in it, stay on it and um you know that kind of motivated me but then like i said i'd always come back to me too thinking like well something i enjoy to do if it does if it never goes further than this like am i mm-hmm. gonna be happy with this and do i enjoy it yeah um and the answer was yes i, I get a lot of fulfillment out of this um and it's something you just gotta gotta stay on um bill evans uh, had a quote i watched this old interview with him and he said how he told himself he's like i know that if i just focus on the music and i don't get distracted by whatever you know, you know trying to promote yourself or trying to hustle or whatever i don't know just it's like if i just focus on the music i know that like i could go into a closet and eventually somebody's going to find me and be like hey we're looking for you mm-hmm. it's like if i just focus on my craft and this what i need to do i'm just yeah. disciplined like that and that stood out to me too like okay i just you know, focus on, on the main thing, thing, you know, the main thing it's, it's easy to get distracted, especially in the, in the day of social media, where you see so much hype about whatever people talk about this, I got this going on. And especially again, in show business, people are always talking about their next big project. Yeah, they have yeah. one, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> but there's so much, and it's easy to feel insecure. Like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? All these people have great things going on, but in reality, a lot of those people are probably thinking the exact same thing. Like, oh shoot. I'm around all these rock stars. What am I doing with my life? Um, so it's it's a balance, man, because you don't want to be 
knocked off course with that type of insecurity. So you want to stay confident with what you know to be true and, and objectively true. And um, if you, number one, feel good about it and you enjoy it, keep going. And then when you get some outside affirmation, you know, hold on to that and, and keep running with it. Find, find, find good, you know, objective feedback. If somebody's like, if you're concerned, like, okay, I know this person's a professional or I have a lot of respect for this person. Just be real with me. Don't just tell me I'm great. Like, should I keep yeah. pursuing this? Should I keep throwing my music out there or should I just, you know, close up the computer and whatever. Call today. Yeah. Yeah. Love that answer. I appreciate you taking a few extra minutes to, to chat through that. Um, I, I yeah, was no, to know your thoughts on that. So, but, uh, but yeah, yeah thanks, thanks so much for, for coming on. And, and I feel, I feel like I could have, uh, I, I mean, we could probably go for another hour on some of this stuff, but, um, but really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Um, and really, really love your work. Excited to see, uh, what you do in the future. And, uh, for anybody who wants to, uh, connect with you, see your work, like what's, what's the best place to do that? Um, and how should people, uh, keep up with what you're doing? Sure. Uh, my website's chrisbazol.com. Um, you can also uh, Google me. You'll see my IMDb, see a list of stuff going on there. Uh, I'm on Instagram too. Easy, pretty active on, or I'm starting to get more active on posting latest trailers and behind the scenes, things like that. So you can find me at uh, Chris underscore Bazold on Instagram too. So those, those three are probably the best places. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Uh, if you're listening to this, be sure to go check out those links in the show notes. And uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.